Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade. Welcome, everyone, to another Baseball America podcast. John and JJ, rolling with you here at the frustrating day of Baseball America. Busy day. Busy day, deadline day. I'm going to interject here to say. Do it. Inside baseball. uh, John, John's not looking his best. Uh, (laughs) There's at least a two days of stubble there. Um, The shirt is... uh, This shirt hasn't been ironed in a decade. (laughs) I don't even know why I wear it. My wife tries to hide it. I keep finding it. No, see, my, my wife, after I wore that sweater on one of the uh, Baseball America, I think it was on a, a Google Live Hangout or something, yeah, and my, yeah. my wife actually, when I got home, she didn't do a ritual burning of the sweater, but it was like it was gone. I never saw it again. That's what she. Had, that's what Becky needs to do. That's pretty much what she needs to do. Um, we tried to do a Facebook Live. It didn't work. We're going to try that again tomorrow. You'll probably be listening to this on Friday, hopefully. I'm going to try to Facebook Live again Friday. Uh, May the but we have 20th. a great idea, I think. I think yeah. this would be a very fun idea for looking at this year's draft and kind of comparing, contrasting. Because we're going to look at this year's draft and compare it to the last two drafts. Right. And I realized to do that, John, you talk for a minute because I've got to go get a copy of this year's 200. Well, I have, yeah. No, yeah go, get, go get your laptop and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of set the premise. Because the, the reason we decided to do this podcast is I actually got a text, uh, a hot take text from a source who just said, you know, this year's top 10 is never as good as last year's top 10. That was the spark for the podcast. And, you know, that was kind of one of the sparks for today's attempted Facebook Live because 2011 was such a good draft. And even though there were misses in that top 10, 2011 was just wicked awesome as a draft class. And and even our headline in 2011 said, depth prompts best in years talk. You know, so we, we knew as that draft was going on, excuse me, that it was special. gonna be a really good draft. And, you know, we, we, we hoped that uh, our top 200 will be accurate. I am proud. We'll talk about it on Facebook Live, but there's a story in there about how two sport prospects bring risk reward. Bubba Starling's risky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, by the way, it also has Jace Peterson in there because he was a, a two sport guy. And of course, in the old CBA, two sports, like one sport good, two sports better, to, to paraphrase Animal Farm. Now it's like one sport good, two sport bad. You know, there's no desire in this current CBA for uh, for uh, two sport athletes. There's no accommodation made for it. So I'm going to find the 2011 top 200. Um, well, we're going to start with six. Let's start, let's start but, but with we're going to start a little bit closer to home. So let's start with just to throw it out there so people understand. Okay, let's look at the top 10. The top 10 of this year's class. I did find 2011, real Good. quick. Top 10 of that year's class, because we, because that was an epic one. Now, we had Anthony Rendon at one. That was, uh, I don't remember how popular a belief that was. He'd had a very injury-prone season. He'd had a very injury-prone couple Career. of seasons. Correct. Has had an up and down, but some injuries have been involved in his pro career, too. Correct. Dylan Bundy, too. Injuries. Number three, Garrett Cole. Went number one, stud. Number four, Danny Holson. Ouch. Number five, Trevor Bauer. Has not lived up to billing. No. Just hasn't. Number six, Bubba Starling. Hasn't lived up to, lived up to billing. Number seven, Francisco Lindor. Has lived up to billing has and exceeded, more. Has exceeded billing. 
Number eight, Taylor Youngman. Sort of lived up to it last year, belatedly, now back at the minors. I think ultimately he's going to be viewed as a disappointment. Yes, I think that he's having, I think he'd have a very tall hill to climb at this point to right. not be. Because his minor league career before that nice bump last year was also disappointing. This right. wasn't, that last year seems more anomalous than the rest of his career. Right. Nine and 10, Archie Bradley, Taylor Guerrero. We always wind up ranking the high school arms higher than they go. I do think we tried to keep that a little bit more in mind this year, but we're still evolving with our top 500, to be honest with you. George Springer, 11. Sonny Gray, 12. I'm trying to find who else was a hit here. 17, Blake Swihart. 18, Javi Baez. 20, Jose Fernandez. A little light on Jose. Um, Robert Stevenson, 25. We've been talking a lot in the office today about uh, C.J. Crone. He's 26. Uh, 31, Dylan Howard. Publication, fabrication. No offense, Dylan. Jackie Bradley, 34. So let's look at two years ago. 2014 is somewhat similar to this draft class, JJ, because there are these two high school arms. Not with 2011. With 2014, I think what makes this interesting is, is don't just list the guys. List number one, and let's say where what we thought at the time, where would he rank in this year's class? Brady Aiken. Because Brady Aiken went one. What we know at the because we got okay, we're rewinding to this is Brady Aiken with no one knowing that his elbow was a little had a small UCL. Right. This is pre-injury Brady Aiken. Healthy, polished, um, Southern California left-hander who was a command guy who then became a stuff and command guy. I mean, there was a lot of excitement about Brady Aiken. Um, I remember the time that year being grudgingly dragged into the Carlos Rodon as third because he started the year so far ahead in the draft class. Um, so for me, Aiken would rank first in this draft class because he was 92 to 93 all spring, regularly touching 96. Curveball was a 77 to 78 mile an hour hammer with depth and sharp bite. Former football quarterback in his early high school years, body gotten better, feel for a changeup. Um, minimal effort, athletic, 6'3", 210. Um, so he's Jason Groom without the stiffness with more polish and a Southern California pedigree. I don't know necessarily he's number one. You don't think so? No, I don't think that that's that much superior to Jason Groom. And Jason Groom's I number, do. But I do on. because of makeup and 18U team. Jason Groom's three on our list. He's not number one. I understand that. So that's what I'm saying is, is I don't think when you say that, compare that to A.J. Puck, I... I think you can make an argument for him, number one, but it'd be a good argument because the reality is is that Puck, now I know where we're going with this because when we get to Rodon, I would probably have Rodon. That's where I'm headed. Right, but the reality is is that I don't think when you read that Brady Aiken report, the things he has going for him over Pint and Groom really are, more than anything, it's it's a little easier and it's SoCal. Right, and that the SoCal part's a big deal for me because but I think the other unspoken part there is makeup. A.J. Puck, I think the makeup's improved. He did get, he did, did climb a crane as a college sophomore. Jason Groom, their makeup questions. Seems uh, like significant. he's answered some of them, but yeah. He does, but, that, but the, that's the number one reason why he's not going 1-1. I think that's fair. I think that and he's a high school pitcher. That's that part of the that part of it That's part of it, too. And I, again, but I'm not even saying right now that we're confident that there's still a lot to be, but I think it's unlikely that he'll go one one of this. I just time. think Brady Aiken had was basically considered a high school aged pitcher with college polish and stuff, 
And there was a very high degree of certainty in his makeup and his delivery and the quality of his stuff. You just didn't hear any people didn't people want to doubt AJ Puck and Jason Groom. That year, no one wanted to doubt Brady Aiken. I just remember making the calls on the mock drafts. Nobody wanted to doubt him. Nobody threw any shade at Brady Aiken. You never heard it. Mm-hmm. It was just unending stream of plaudits. And it had to be because of my freaking hard on for Carlos Raton. I wanted him to be the number one guy. And the stunner on here to me is Tyler Kolick at two. Because in retrospect, I kind of wonder, like, what were we smoking? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I mean, that's one that we, I, we, we moved. We in the industry, because he did go too. I mean, we, but we actually have this order the way it turned out. Right. Three Sports Star was drawing interest as a defensive end. That should have been a red flag. Focused exclusively on baseball after area code games tryout. Spent the summer establishing himself as the hardest thrower in a draft class full of velocity. Maintained triple digit radar gun readings all spring, 100 to 102 regularly. Fastball sits 96 98, thanks to tremendous strength, coordination, and a 6 5. 245 body, surprising arm speed. I think we wound up listing him at 260. Very athletic in his delivery, has a very long stride, even for his size. Consistent top-end velocity, unprecedented in the draft era for a high, process, a high school pitcher. Works downhill with sink, heavy plus life on the fastball. Dense fastball will be a ground ball inducing offering when hitters make contact. Curveball and slider. Slider is a power pitch in the mid-80s. Best secondary pitch shows at least plus potential. That has never materialized. Right. That's the thing is, is that, and okay, so when we rewind it. Yes, if you read that report, what we thought at the time, that could, you could make an argument for number two. Cole, the reality is, is that it's yeah. impossible to divorce from there is us knowing now those secondary pitches, the curveball and the slider, both of them are, have been very fringe offerings in pro ball. And you also have that he's cleaned up his delivery, but it can lose direction to the plate working from the far first base side of the rubber and occasionally landing closed. Sounds like that remained a problem. Mm-hmm. It, it, and, and, his, and his velocity did not maintain on a consistent basis throwing every fifth day. Right. So our Rodon report, and the reason that Carlos was three, was that his slider remains the best pitch in the draft for most scouts, sitting 85-87, scraping 89 at its best with two-plane depth, hit 97 regularly in short stints to open his freshman season. Uh, multiple scouts have given Rodon slider 80 grades when it's on. Some say he relies on the slider too much. More concerning was a lack of explosiveness on his fastball for the first half when he often sat 89-92, as well as below average command. Change of Posada average last summer has been inconsistent and often non-existent this spring. 6'3", 234, uh, assets of frame. Some say it was an asset. Others knock him for lack of athleticism and projection. So second half revival, fastball is back in the mid-90s. But, J.J., you remember... Clint Longenecker and I, I had my broken leg that year. Uh, Aaron Fitt, Clint, or I, all three of us were at virtually every Rodon start that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Clint went on the road all the time to go see him. You know, I'll never forget seeing Kyle Freeland with Clint that year and a bunch of cross-checkers and scouting directors and area guys in this area and Kyle Freeland pitching at Charlotte and being like, holy crap, this guy's better than Rodon. Like, that day, he was better than anything Carlos had done all spring. Honestly, that's probably what dislodged me from the thought of Carlos had to be number one in the draft on our list no matter what. When I saw, you know, with my own eyes, not like I'm a scout, but there were a lot of scouts who were there, and I talked to three of them on the drive after the game, all of whom were going to go see 
Jake's the net as they were doubling up that day. <laughs> the names that exactly the names that Jake Snap pitched a lot in Cubs spring training, and that was the highlight of Jake Stinnett's career so far. It was so. Um, so they all were like, "Yeah, Freeland today versus what we've seen from Rodon this year. You prefer Freeland? I not just today, and that was the point. And, but, but the point was that it dislodged and this it is, made it wide open that Carlos didn't have to be won. And this is where it gets interesting. Is is that when a guy, how much do you go on what is happening their junior year right. versus what's happened over there? Because that was true that spring. Carlos Rodon did not have, he was, quite simply, he was not as good his junior year right. as he was as a sophomore and especially right. as he was. I mean, the reality is, is if the draft had been held, the night after Carlos Rodon versus Cuba. He'd have gone 1-1. He would have been, it, would, it would have been not just 1-1. It would have been, we do have a Bryce Harper. We do have a Steven Strasburg. Somebody would have draft. gone, but somebody might have actually given up a future pick to get him. If you could have traded picks, people would have traded a lot for the right to get Carlos Because he was at that point, it was a, it was a clear 1-1 one, one, and it wasn't close. It was a 7-8-6 or 7-8-5, depending on who you talk to. 7 fastball, 8 slider, at least a 5 changeup that day against Cuba. I mean, I've just talked to too many people who've all just drooled about it. That was one of the best amateur games guys have seen pitched in the last 20 years. That's how good Carlos was that day. But, okay, so... So, though, for so me, all three of those guys would go ahead of A.J. Puck at the time because you're reading how we wrote about see, no, but Tyler Kolick. See, again, I disagree. You and don't think why. so? Riley Pint's write-up is better than Tyler Kolick's. It is. I am, again, you and I are different on Riley Pine. I think we both want to rank him number one in this draft class. But when you say, though, if you say, because Riley Pine, Tyler Kolick, you are comparing apples to apples there. You're right. That is a and Riley high Pine school. Is so much more athletic. High school right-hander versus high school right-hander throws 100 versus throws 100. Okay. Now, if you wanted to say Tyler Kolek does it a little easier, argument for Kolek is, is that there is more effort. Right. Now, with Pint. Pint's arm is even faster. Yes. Pint has a secondary, his secondary stuff. His arm is, in the back is cleaner. Right. And his, arm, his arm in the back is cleaner. It's the front side where Kolek is, you know, where there's, which the, the head stays stiller with Kolek, those things. But it can't, it can't snap. It's just too thick. The neck was too thick. Secondary stuff, though, there is no comparison. Right. Because Riley Pint has a change up right now that has a very good chance to be a weapon. Yes. Not just, it's very rare. To, it's not just very rare. It's never happened right. that there's a guy, a high school pitcher, who consistently gets to 100 who has a plus changeup in high school. That doesn't happen. Never. Never. Riley Pint may have the best changeup of the high school draft class this year. It feels like we could name all the high school pitchers who've thrown 100. I mean, it's... Consistently, you, it's you basically Griffin, Cole Griffin, Tyler Kolek, Lucas uh, Riley Giolito. Pint, Lucas Giolito, and Dylan Bundy. Right, that's about it. Bundy's secondary stuff may have been as good as Pints. Bundy probably was actually better, I guess. Bundy, the the Bundy write up to me. Now there are different than Pints bigger, but the Bundy write up is very similar to me to the Pint write up this year. Yeah, and that does in some ways it's a good reminder of because Dylan Bundy. The reality is, is if you took Dylan Bundy as an 18 year old and you said nothing changed, he's not going to get a and he's not going to get significantly better. Right. You would still then say this guy has a chance to be really good 
And the reality that is, is that the sad thing is, is that Dylan Bundy right now is not as good as Dylan Bundy was at basically coming into Pro Bowl. Correct. It's just not. It's just not. The 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 wear, the arm has not. The arm, the. He's not he's just healthy. Not. He's just not. He's right. not the same guy. He's not the same guy, and that's sad. I'm to happy say. for him that he's a big leaguer. And that is, right and now. that is the reality of it. Is is that when you talk about high school pitchers, Riley Pint. This is why Riley Pint or Jason Groove may not go number one. Is that when you talk about high school pitchers, you can't pro- always project. Sometimes the good news for Riley Pint is is that if if there's some attrition to Riley Pint, if there's some degradation to Riley Pint stuff. Shrug shoulders and exactly. go, okay. If it goes from being that he sits 96 to 98 to he sits 93 to 97. He's, he, he has some room for error. He has some margin for error. He's still fine. He's yeah. still fine. But, but Kolick has lost two grades, basically. He's got, at he went least. From, he went from sitting 96, 98 to sitting 89, 92 some games. And how much of that was injury? How much of it was wear and tear? We just, yeah, it's hard to tell. When he had more rest, he threw harder. But you know, I mean, I just, just can't say, "Hey, he's really good on it on every going every eight days." It doesn't right. work. That's not how it works. But uh, so, see, for me, it does go come down to as simple as Rodon versus Pint. I mean, versus Puck is a okay. no. It's a no. It's a no. It's a non-starter. Right. Because it's an easy decision. That is. I mean, the reality is, is that. Well, but but I so I do make the point of this is that when you compare it to that draft class, I do think we're in the same we're in the same family here. Because we I can are. argue Riley Pint, and I think I can very easily argue Riley Pint over Tyler Kolek. And you can I'll argue Groom you. versus Aiken, but it's comparable. Right. And then Puck versus Rodon is comparable. That's a good point. These are all, you, again, because we're now remembering, we're talking about Carlos Rodon. And two years later, we have the college guy ahead of the high school guys, which is probably smart. So, yeah. <laughs> but hopefully we're learning our lesson. But, okay, so who's number four on that list? 2014? Mm-hmm. That would be... Uh, Extended spring trainings, uh, Alex, Alex Jackson, Jackson out of uh, Rancho Bernardino. Now, I, I did want to throw in top three 2015. Do you want me to mention that or no, wait? No, I was going to get to the top five and then we'll go to the 15. All right. Four, Alex Jackson, five, uh, personal cheese ball, Kyle Freeland. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, just for grits and shiggles. Six, Nick Gordon. Seven, Aaron Nola. I guess we were a little light on Aaron Nola. Eight, Michael Conforto. Feeling good. Nine, Trey Turner. Ten, Max Pentecost. Ow, my shoulder. He's hey, he's playing, he's playing. playing to Lansing. DHing, but playing. I'm just trying to see who else we may have. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, 17. May have been a tad light there. <laughs> <laughs> we made up for uh, it. We made up for it. He went from 17 on that list to like 19, 19 on the top two on the top, top 100, 100. You know, the next year. So, JB Bukowski is 33. He's looking good right now for next year. So next, year's draft, next year's draft looks good. And I already, if you go to my Twitter feed, I've already given you a, started a, 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 2018. a, a potential 1-1 and 18. Look at so, you. Um, I, I, by the way, I, I waited on this. I, I waited because I, I heard that earlier in the year, but I did want to wait, and he's having a monster sophomore year. You know, but so, yeah. <laughs> Check out JJ Coop 36 yeah. talking about the potential 1-1 in 2018. So last year's top 10. Brendan Rodgers, one. Dansby Swanson, two. Dylan Tate, three. Alex Bregman, four. Extended spring trainings, Daz Cameron, five. Carson Fulmer, six. Garrett Whitley, seven. Kyle Tucker, eight. Andrew Benintendi, nine. Trent Clark, ten. I feel good about Andrew Benintendi being that high. 
Right, I do remember that I was that was the guy. You were driving was, the Ben and Tim. I, I was driving that train. I remember. I remember a little engine that could. I remember a conversation with you at midseason of that year because last year was my first year being fully immersed immersed yeah. in the draft. You know, I've been doing a lot of the pro stuff. I've done a lot of pro stuff, but last year was like, no, 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 I'm diving into the draft. And I remember like thinking, mid like early April, and going. Andrew Benatendi, like a uh, top 15 pick, maybe? And then. I remember, I was like, he's so small. Yeah, and I remember, yeah, I remember it was like. And then I remember uh, calling a scouting director, and it was like, so where are you headed this weekend? And it was mid part of the season, and I was like, oh, you're going to. That, I think yeah. that's where Benatendi's going to be. Yeah, oh, yeah. there's no one else in that game. Okay. I remember we made a couple other calls, and we were like, I know there's no. Because I remember being like, He's awesome. He's dominating. He sounds really exciting, but there's no track record. There's no Cape. There's no Northwoods. There's one home run last year. He says like he has first round tools without first round pedigree, uh, pedigree slash uh, track record. But then we started digging on the high school track record. And we was like, oh, there is track record. He just didn't do it last year. And the more we dug, the more we found. Wait a minute. We better move this guy up. So. But- Okay, so looking at I that, think when we went to press in the magazine, I think he was like 11, 15, something like that. And, but and I, remember, I do remember saying last year, like, I think when it's all said and done, he could end up being the best guy in this Yes, yeah, yeah, you absolutely did. And yeah, I still think did. that could be true. I think that that very well could be true. It's good. Now, the thing that you just see from that, though, if you talk about that top group, what we had last year, what we don't have this year, is this group of shortstops. Those are... Those are blue chip stocks to use College bats. Term. We just don't have college bats. There's three college bats in our top ten that everybody believes in. Swanson, Bregman, and Benintendi. Even though Bregman and Benintendi were little, everyone believed in those guys. There are three college bats in our draft, our top ten this year. But the difference being is that I think... He, they're all, all th- corner guys. They're all probably corner guys. So that's, <laughs> that's less impact potentially. And the other part of it is is that... There, there's a Kyle Lewis is a higher risk profile than any of those guys last year just because of the nature of where he's playing. Right. Now, again, that doesn't mean he's not going to be very, very good, but it does mean that you don't have the same comfort level. Notably, the guys you're talking about, Swanson, Bregman, Benatendi, we, you hear it all the time when you talk to evaluators now, that a guy who has tools and produces in the SEC – there is a pretty strong comfort level there. Absolutely, absolutely, and and there should be, and there should be. Because like that's the thing with AJ Puck. I was on another. I was on a Phillies podcast this morning, and the point I made with Puck is is that if you're the Phillies picking one one, and you take Puck, okay, this year expect the Gators. Let's expect that they will play deep into June. Yes, Puck will have essentially at that point pitched a season, very much so that you don't. You don't go crazy with them this year. You right. get them out there, much like you know we saw with the White Sox with Carlos Rodon, much like we saw with Carson, oh, Carson Fulmer. Fulmer. Yeah, the White Sox actually are quite aggressive with right. using their pitchers but after they you, sign. But you, but you get them out there. He's got to throw some innings. They'll probably, uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if those innings were out of the pen. Right, right. You know, and then, but then when you say where is he going to start 2017? If he's healthy. You say I'm sitting him to double A. Oh yeah, that's like you know what he should be able to handle this. He's done th- he's done multiple years in the SEC, pitching in key games, 
we could send him to double A, and that should not be something where he's way over his head. You know, the other thing, this is a crazy thought that's come in my head. You mentioned A.J. Puck. You know, if you put him back in 2014, <laughs> maybe this is too inside baseball, but Clint loved good bodies, and A.J. Puck is not a good body. Mm-hmm. Kyle Lewis is body beautiful. Buddy Reed is body beautiful. Corey Ray is a good body. It's compact. But Kyle Lewis is the body in this draft, and Pint to an extent. So when that guy is part, a big part of the coverage, it probably does shape the, the, the top of the list, just like our list is... would be different if Jim Callis were helping evaluate it, just like our list is different now, in your, or, or it'd be different if Alan Matthews was doing it or Alan Simpson. So the people who make the list do make a difference with the list because we all have our predilections and but, predispositions. But I do think that that's the thing. When we talk about these guys, we've talked about this in the office. The biggest thing, Mickey Moniak is number five on our list right now. Good, and, good, good point of contention. And he has been mentioned for 1-1. One, one. Right. And the thing that I can't get over, and we've heard it from scouts, is when it's all said and done, there's no one who looks like Mickey Moniak who checks those boxes who I can think of who's gone 1-1. One, one. Right. That's exactly right. When you Whereas have you say, has someone looked like A.J. Puck gone 1-1? One, one? Yeah. Absolutely. Has Carl, someone, Carlos Rodon went 1-3. Right. He looks a lot like him. You're mm-hmm. right. You know, if you said, has Kyle... I, I mean, the reality is, is, is Kyle Lewis? Yes, guys like that. You, really, 1-1, one, one, usually there's some physicality to it. Yes, which is why... Um, you know, Dansby Swanson, I think that's one, a reason why Dansby Swanson went 1 1 and Andrew Benintendi didn't last year. There's track record, but there's also shortstop and there's also more classic look than right. Andrew Benintendi. No one's ever going to go to Dansby Swanson and say, You look like you're 14, you know, like uh, Roger Cador did last year throughout our entire gala. Right. I mean, that's, that is the reality, you know, with Andrew Benintendi. And it is something where Brendan, I mean, even when you talked about the shortstops last year, there were other separators, but Brendan Rodgers and Dansby Swanson, when you compare them to Alex Bregman, they were a little bit more, quote, looking the part. Right. But and no. you can't argue, okay, is that still emphasized too much? Well, maybe, because, I mean, we do have right now, Jose Altuve is right. insane. Right. And Jose Altuve... In a good way. In, in a good way. And Jose Altuve is, does not look the part in any way, shape, or form. But when you look at our at the history of number one overall picks, that's actually one the biggest way that Matt Bush stands out. In the modern era, when you're going back to 87, era of one single draft, this is the 30th year with one draft, no January mm-hmm. draft, no supplementals. Griffey, Bennis, Ben McDonald. I'm, I'm talking Andy Bennis, not Elaine. Ben McDonald, Chipper, Brian Taylor, Phil Nevin, A-Rod, Phil Wilson, Darren Erstad. Darren Erstad might be the smallest guy out of all these guys. And he played football. I know he's a punter. Um, Pat Burrell, Josh Hamilton, Adrian Gonzalez, Joe Maurer, Bullington, Delman Young, Matt Bush, Justin Upton, Hochaver, Price, Tim Beckham, Strasburg, Harper, Cole, Correa, Appel, and then Aiken and Swanson. The smallest guy on there is Matt Bush. Yeah. The worst pick out of all those guys is Matt Bush. It's not because he's small, it was makeup. I know he made the big leagues too. Right. But by the way, also with that, when you talk about Tim Beckham, I mean, the reality yeah. is, is Tim Beckham. Now, he, Tim Beckham fit the profile for a middle of, you know, middle infielder type guy. It wasn't like he was undersized. Right. But Tim Beckham is, you know, he has some physicality to him, but he's less physical than most of the guys on that list. And Tim Beckham's also been one of the Six boys. foot 195. It's the second the smallest guy on there. That's interesting. So, Maybe that's why Tyler Kolick was number two on our list. 
We like them big. Although Carlos Rodon was pretty big himself. Historically, though, in that modern era, uh, there's been some... But that's what... Yeah, I do think that that, that was something with Andrew Benatendi. Because Andrew Benatendi... Andrew Benatendi, if he, you know, you know, he wasn't in the mix for 1-1 last year. But yeah. if he had been, he would have been the smallest 1-1. The other thing... Oh, yeah, no doubt. That's what that's where I was headed. That's what, that's what started it. Here's the other thing that stands out in that, JJ, is college bats. I mean... Both high school bats that we talked about, the top high school bat in 2015, it was Brendan Rodgers. The number two was Daz Cameron for us. And I know there was a split camp. And that was one that was tough because that, that was, was tough. You know, like we all have our own cheese balls and all. And to me, it was like, I, give me Trent Clark. Give me Trent Clark. Yes. And it was because. You did love Trent Clark. Because mm. there was. I liked I, Trent Clark. I thought that there was more, there was every bit as much tools wise physicality as Cameron. But what you got with it was, I thought, a better bat. Yeah. But now, I mean, right now, the reality is, is that if you look at it, you know, Kyle Tucker's also been, you know, he was right in that mix, has been yep. really good. Uh, you know, but you look, Brendan Rodgers having a very good, he had a rough start last you know, year, you know, to his pro career. But he's, but he's, he's, he's like excellent. he's learned from it. He's been excellent in Asheville. It's Asheville. It's a nice place to hit, but right. he's been excellent. But he has been, and that's that's a good sign, a very encouraging sign. You know, Dancy Swanson's already double A, double A. So and is Kendi's in double A. So is Bregman, who's Bregman's playing that little third a. base, which is also very intrigging. I'm kind of well. They have to, by. you know. I mean, the reality is, is that he's not he is not playing shortstop, barring injury for that and team. He ain't playing second base either. And he's not playing second. Those so, are those positions are blocked. Yes. Now again, I still say that the thing that Bregman does do for them this year is, is that. He is their best option if there was an injury to Correa. Brendan Rodgers is a 10-10 ops in Asheville. I didn't realize it was that good. It was, no, it's excellent. He's been really, really good. That's loud. Good for him. Go Brendan Rodgers. Flow God. Get it done. Um, but college bats, again, I come back to 2014. Conforto, Turner, already the big Schwarber. leagues. Schwarber later. Um, Bradley Zimmer, I know he's not at that level, but... He's, he's, a, he's, he's not been, far away. He's been pretty he's good. He's out of it, but not far away. Maybe we should have tried Nick Howard as a college bat. That hurts. The great Blandino, Derek Fisher, uh, Casey Gillespie still gaining acceptance. But the high school bat's risky in here, J.J. Risky, risky. Ri- oh, A.J. Reed at 41. Very risky phylum. I mean, here at 46 and, and 47, Tyquan Forbes and Chase Velo, you know. And that's where... I do think that's where there's a frustration with this draft class among evaluators, among scouts, among GMs, among scouting directors, is that you want, if you, if you, ask, if you ask those guys now, how do you dial up, how do you draw up a class, the reality of it is, is what they want more than anything is, can, can we have some middle of the line, middle of the, in, you know, shortstops, yeah. center fielders from the college who have track record? Yep. We, can we have some college arms? And they'll take the Aaron Nola's. Now, Aaron Nola's been better than what we thought. We have seven on that list. Right. But it's Aaron Nola, it's very high for a guy who at the time was considered, you know, this is a guy who's going to move very fast, but it was a Mike Leake comp in some ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, that's, and he's lived up to that in many ways in that he moved almost as fast as Leake's, hard to right. move as fast as a guy who didn't pitch in the minors. But, but he's been better. But he's been Leak. even better than that. But again, the thing about it is, is that what you really say, if Aaron Nola, his curveball's gotten better. Right. But what you're also saying is, is Aaron Nola pitching in college, again in the SEC, was pitching at a level that essentially you just took him, put him on a pro mound, and said, 
do the same. That's right. Not go like compete. Go compete, and you know what? You're ready. I think the other thing that was underestimated about Aaron Nola was that compete tool, the competitiveness, just how bad he wanted it. Because he goes back to one of your old precepts, JJ, that pitchers change. Mm-hmm. And when he was in high school, Aaron Nola, I remember getting him comp by several people to Jeremy Hellickson. You know, fastball changeup guy, iffy breaking ball. Now the breaking ball is nothing. There's nothing close to iffy about it. And that is it's where, a weapon. That's where and, trying to figure out pitchers is so. That's tough. not supposed to happen, isn't it? If you you either spin it or you don't. I've heard it so many times. This guy has figured out spin, and I think he did it because everyone kept telling him he couldn't. I mean, that guy was just determined, bound. To spin a breaking ball, I'm not going to be satisfied with this get-me-over slider. It kept getting better. And then, you'd like, sophomore year, you'd hear, like, oh, the breaking ball might be as good as the changeup, if not better. Now his changeup's like a distant third pitch. I said, distant. But the breaking ball is too. clearly over his changeup now. And, I mean, that, that's because he wanted it, and he worked on it, and he worked so, on it, and he worked on it. It's just really – Eric Nolan's a cool story. But let me ask you, and this is where this is rough in this year's class because it's not a great class for college pitchers. Who are the college pitchers – like last year wasn't a great class, and my cheese ball was James Caprillion, and he got off to a great start, and now he's gotten hurt. I will put my money on some of the one of those Tennessee <laughs> one of those Tennessee prep class of 2013 guys. I do like uh, I like my uh, my, my uh, Sheffield. I get them mixed up, so I won't say the first Justice. name. Justice, thank you. Jordan is uh, pitching for the is Indians. already with the Indians. I like Dakota Hudson. Um, I like both those guys. All right, um, you know. I think there's a lot of hope and dreamers who want that next guy to be Cal Quantrill. I have a hard time with that one, with what to do with Cal Quantrill. Um, well, I mean, let's, let's go into this. This, right. is, this is game theory. I love the game theory part. Cal, when, the, the West Coast college starters are very interesting to me because you have Quantrill, Dalton Jeffries, and Matt Crook. I mean, <laughs> those should have been the top three guys. And injury, injury, and woof. Like we we hope there's some injury, injury issue with Matt yeah. Brook, you know. But what I find interesting is because so Cal Control, if you do not know the background, yeah, you're you're talking about he was pitching very very well for Stanford, but essentially we have at this point a year. It's not even a full year, but pretty much a year of very 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 good. Yeah. So he made three starts in 2015. In 2014, he made 17 starts. Pitched 110 and two-thirds innings. The last outing wasn't a start, and this is probably the reason that he got hurt. It's because they used him on one day's rest. We, in the as regional. it was happening, we were we were watching this and like wanted to cover our eyes. I mean, it really was. Yeah, it happened in Bloomington against uh, Kyle Schwarber, Sam Travis, and Indiana. So I'll and, line up with nothing that you'd really have to worry about. Exactly. And I mean, like, hey, I, I, I'll admit, Ryan Garko was coaching that year at Stanford. I wanted Stanford to win that regional. I mean, it was nothing against Kyle Schwarber, but I'm I'm the king of the Ryan Garko fan club. I wanted Garko to win that. He was helping coach that team. I wanted him to stay there. They did win that regional, but not that way. I mean, Kyle Quantrill on one day's rest. I know Stanford didn't have much pitching, but... It doesn't matter. I don't care if you lose. Again, you don't throw a guy... The biggest problem, as I've said this before, I'll say it again... Mark Marquis is a shapeshifter when it comes to this stuff. He used to, when, when Jason Young threw a billion pitches in a game in Omaha, he said, well, he'll have a lot of rest. As long as you have rest, it's okay. The high pitch count doesn't bother me as much as the short rest 
that bothers me. And then four years later, he comes back and uses John Hudgens on short rest constantly and says, well, John Hudgens can handle it. So he just has talked out of both sides of his mouth for the latter part of his career when Stanford was, when they've been relevant. And it's just extremely frustrating. And he had a great arm. Cal Quantrill my, hasn't come back. My, my thing on this is, is that, you know, we've talked about this in the office, and I think we even may disagree on this. But to me, the simplest way you handle this is, and I understand that this would limit some guys who don't have pro futures, who this is, you're limiting. But the reality is. As Augie Garrido says, it wants to be a hero. But I just codify it. I just say, you know, we have these rules at lower levels. We now have pitch smart rules. I think you don't have to go, you know, like as extreme, but there should be if you've thrown a certain number of pitches, you're not eligible to pitch. You know, that's the bottom line is JJ college coaches and I love college baseball. They can't control themselves. When you had the one day, when you had the one-time transfer rule and you didn't have to sit out, everybody went to the Cape and recruited transfers. Everybody. And they all did it. And some programs have not been the same since they changed that rule. They know who they are. I don't have to call them out on this podcast. Um, they don't have the same coaches anymore because they didn't survive without the transfer rule. They had to change it because the way it was actually served a purpose. It's not a full scholarship sport so that players should be able to transfer. Except for the fact that you shouldn't have to worry if you're St. Joe's and you stumble into Chris Heck, and not, yeah, Chris Heck, and he blows up in the Cape, so he gets poached by Clemson. You shouldn't have to worry about that. That stuff happened all the time. You shouldn't have had to change the rules if the coaches had just policed themselves. But they wouldn't do it, and it's been years and it's been years, and they just won't do it themselves. They just can't help themselves from using guys on short rest, and it's just. So it's it does have to be codified. You're right. I wish you weren't right. We've had this but argument before. Always, I've, I've, I don't think I've swayed Oh, it's just but reality has just won the day that, you know. Because college. if you do that, what the thing about it is is that if you do that, you take away the option. Right. And if you take away That's the right. option, then no one gets put in that situation. Because the reality of it is is what gets lost a lot of times is these games do matter. Right. And so, yes, you're trying to win. And the reality of it is, is because of that, that creates incentives that are dangerous because you have two people in this who want the pitcher himself is generally a competitive person. That's right. Who is playing here. He went to college because he wants to win games in college. It's an asset for Cal Quantrill. It makes him a guy that you want to draft that he wanted the ball on one day's rest. And Just like his dad, who pitched himself into the ground for Joe Torre with the Yankees. Do you think Cal, Paul Quantrill ever told Joe Torre, don't give me the ball today? Hell no. He wanted it every god darn day. And he got it. And, now, and, then, and, and then he died. I mean, like his career died. So Cal Quantrill wanting the ball at that time is an asset. Mark, Mark was giving him the ball at that time is a huge deficit. And you, they ha, it has to be legislated, frankly. So, but, I mean, but, so that, but that's the, where the college pitching but, class is. A guy who's made three starts since the day he came on one day's rest could be the second or third pitcher drafted if you were healthy. But again, and this is the game theory that I always find interesting. Because I find it interesting, like, understandably, you know, I got people will say, like, oh, you know, so and so may be talking about an underslot deal at 1 1 with the Phillies. Right. Everyone. 
Whoever the Phillies sign at 1-1 will be under slot. Will be under slot. The slot no is one. A, the slot is more than a million dollars higher than the record bonus, which was given to Garrett Cole. And the way that it is, the way, especially when you do not have a Bryce Harper, when you do not have a Steven Strasburg, the penalty, if you go from being picked 1-1 and going under slot to being picked fourth right. or even third, the difference in money financially could be significant to where... If you're picking 1-1 and they offer you a million less than slot, you say, I'm absolutely taking that because you know what? Even if I go third overall, I'm probably not getting this money. Right. No, that's and, right. And you, 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 unless you have it locked up that you're going second overall. Lock it up. At, you, know, you could then maybe match the money. But other than that. So, I but, mean, the bonus slots are $9 million and change at one. Which, by the way, I mean, it, Chris Bryant got... Basically, a little less than seven. Right. That's a. I do believe. Correct me if I'm That's wrong. The high in the- that is the high in the current CBA system. So what you're saying is, is that if they lock them up, if they lock a guy up at seven mil, which would be the new CBA, this CBA draft record. They would save over two million dollars to use later on. Correct the mundo. So I mean, that's the, the that's Reds, the that's the ceiling. The Reds are a million dollars over what Bryant got, and that's the two pick, seven point seven million and change. Almost. And seven. again, if they sign someone for six, people, and again, I'm not even blaming them, but who don't bathe in this and breathe right. in this all day will say, "Wow!" So they don't were, bathe in this. You'll look like me eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want that. Trust me. <laughs> but. But you, 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 the thing about it is, is there will be people who say, whoa, they went, they managed, they, they found a guy who's willing to take less. I know. Well, look at the difference. Less what is number who? three? What number, is number three is $6.5 million. Okay. That's kind of the max offer. That's right. Because especially, let's say, I don't, you know, again, we're, I don't know yet, but let's, say that AJ Puck, yep. but let's say that AJ Puck goes 1 1. AJ Puck is the one guy I would argue out of all these guys we've talked about who could go 1 1. Whose floor is probably very high. Right. I think that the college you can pitcher, make a very good case that his floor is like an Alan Embry career. No, but I'm saying like even in the like, draft. Oh, in the draft. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's no way he's going I, lower than. What's three the or four. lowest that he goes? Probably, I'd say Maybe three. Four. four is the absolute, but probably two or three. Right. So if you're AJ Puck and, and the Phillies come to you and say, well, how about 5.5? You can say, you know what? I can do better than 5.5. That's right. That's where you, the discussion is. That's that's the, exactly the, the thought process they're going through in Philadelphia. But if you're Kyle Lewis, who's potentially a 1-1 candidate, and you're Kyle Lewis, you very well could go two. You could go three. But you could go five. That's right. And five. It's 4.38 million, which is a big drop from so 6.5. If, if you went five and the team that drafted you at five says, we will give you full slot. We're not negotiating with you or anything. There's 4.3 is what it is. We'll yep. give you a 4.3. That's, you're not getting more than that at that right. point. Oh, you're right. And so if you're Kyle Lewis and your agent doing a good job is like, look, you could go one, you could go two, you could go three, but five or six, you could. Because the reality is, is that if the board just breaks a little different and Pint, Groom, Ray, you know, those guys go, you could be sitting there at five. You know, maybe someone like Senzel, you go six. Or if that's the case, and they say, and the Phillies come to you and say, how about 5.75? Yeah. Well, 5.75, the certainty of 5.75, unless, again, now let's be honest, there's deals going on. Right. 
Yes, the rule is is only one one can do it. But certainty is a nice thing to have. But if you okay, yes, if you could get that two or three, but if there's if at two and three and the Phillies are different. If the Astros are doing this, you can't line up at two or three I mean, yet. This is exactly how the Astros wound up with Carlos Correa because they liked him at four eight and with the shave better than say Byron Buxton at six. A, it's turned out because Correa has been transcendent. And we thought Buxton would be, and he hasn't been yet. But B, they also got McCullers right. later in the draft. So that's what everyone wants to do. That was the first year of this. It's worked out so well. And that's even with the first year afterwards, Buxton looking like he would be, again, a transcendent player. And it's been instead Correa who's the mm-hmm. transcendent player, the but, superstar, but the face point, of the game. But the point about this is, is that whoever the Phillies take, they're going to have a lot of money to spend later on. Right. Whoever the Reds take... They're going to have a ton of money to spend later on because right. when you do the not have, we, again, this is different than if Bryce Harper's in this draft. Absolutely different. Bryce Harper goes, the number's nine. I want nine. That's right. Actually, he says, I want ten. That's right. But the reality is, is that you can eventually probably get him to nine something because the reality is, is that your only other option is there's no other team that you know. Not again. Bryce Harper in Japan. But no, but there is the thing is, is you do get fascinating game theory at that point because if I'm the Reds, if Bryce Harper was in this, I would be willing to take four seniors to get Bryce Harper. So yes, if I've got a $13 million pool, I'm willing to go 11 for Bryce Harper. Uh, that the, in the game theory standpoint of it, yeah, I think that would happen. I mean, like I so, think it would actually happen more for a guy like, I mean, they're, they're, those kind of players are so rare. But the fact that the Nationals got them back-to-back years is incredible. But Strasburg, but what I'm has, saying has, is, has been good, not superlative, but he's been awfully good. Um, but but Harper is so different, and also that at his age, that he was what 17 when he got drafted, 16, 17. Yeah. That made things very different. So. But so yeah, so what I'm saying though is, is that if you do when you have a year like this where there is no clear-cut number one, if you're the Phillies, you're going to be able, you should be able to get whoever you want. At a significant amount less than the slot because these slots, the, are, the, the, they, they're a canyon. Which is why I believe you hear all these rumors about Mickey Moniak, the Carlsbad, California high school outfielder. Why you hear rumors of him going 1-1. I still don't see that happening. I don't, I don't either. I don't think he has the physicality. But when the Phillies roll in nine deep like they do with everybody's games, and they do that to go see Moniak, as we've been told, you know, you start to put those things together. But for me, that's why really the 1-1 the list feels pretty short, J.J., for this list, for this draft. I don't feel it includes There's either not. of the high school outfielders, Rutherford no. or Moniak. No. I feel it should include the, the college bats, which for me would include Senzel, even though I've gotten comps from Joe Randa to David Wright on him. No, like, like we've gotten, I mean... All over the board on Senzel. Um, or some we've heard. I was gonna say we've. I mean, we've heard multiple Tony Graffaninos, which yeah. I think is a, that's a lower. That's a yeah. That was that was from a. Uh, I don't think I've that's heard, a authoritative Tony Graffinino. That was more of like a trying to think of one kind of guy. I don't think that was out of a guy's report. Um, but uh, just trying to think of like, like for me, Kyle Lewis. I don't think Corey Ray is a one-one candidate because he's not a center fielder. And if he's very, not a center fielder, if you're not convicted in him in a center fielder, he doesn't have that big corner power bat like a Kyle Lewis has. So 
I don't see Corey Ray. I mean, the reality is Kyle Lewis has a probably a better shot of being a center fielder than Corey Ray. I mean, he's. I don't think he has a great shot at doing it. But the reality. I don't it, know. The fact that he's playing in the SoCon doesn't sway me that way. He's an average-ish runner, maybe above average. Ray no, runs better. I, I think Corey. I think there's more to it with Corey Ray than I think there is with Kyle Lewis personally. That's interesting. No, no. What I'm ask. saying is that I think Kyle, I think when Kyle Lewis, the reality is, is that when Kyle Lewis is 25, 26 years old, it's the physicality he has. Right. I think it's unlikely that he's still going to be a center fielder because. But of I that. correct. But I think Corey Ray. It's more likely that he could learn in the next few years and be a center fielder. Okay, so you're saying that. Yeah. I think Corey Ray is more likely to be a center fielder than Kyle okay. Lewis, even though he has played lots of it to this point. In his career. I mean, yeah. I still think Corey Ray could be a center fielder. I don't rule it out because I just think big league teams coach defense way better than any college. And uh, they, they have more they they do. They, and that's they just, simply you know, do. And if Corey Ray want if he gets to the big leagues and wants to play if he gets to the minor leagues and wants to play center field and he told Mike Lanana, not only do I want to play center field, I believe I will be a good center fielder. Well then I think that's part of it. So, hey, Corey, come out at 10 in the morning tomorrow morning, and we'll have a parade of dudes hitting your balls in center field every day for the next six months. Hey, we'll set up a hack attack, and we'll just do That's this right. over and if over. If he wants over. to do that, then I think he can get there. So, um, but, but, th- he, but those are the guys. Those are the three college bats. You know, Lewis, and then there's the Senzel. High, and then there's the two high school arms. Right. And then Puck. Those are the six guys. I said five before. There's but six. To take this way back to what I was talking about, though, so with Quantrill, the reason, you know, we've heard all the rumblings, which is is that he he's not, it's almost would at this point be shocking if he pitched in a game this year. Right, it would be shocking. It yeah. would be it would qualify as shocking. When they only comes, have two more weeks, so yeah. When it comes to bullpens, even, there is these rumblings that, you know, if you're Cal Quantrill and there is a team that has money and they're willing to say, no, 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 we're gonna take you. Wherever that is. And again, I'm not going to speculate on where that is because the reality is that if a team does that, that would, again, it happens, but it would right. technically be against the draft rules. But if you're Cal Quantrill and you already have that lined up, there is no reason to go on the tour to show that you're healthy. That is the main reason why I believe that he has uh, <laughs> that Because this has now been go. long enough yeah. since his surgery that – you kind of would expect to be seeing him, uh, you know, hey, oh, Cal Quantrill's going to throw a side session everyone will see this week. Right. There's no reason for him to do this because I think there's certain teams that are in on him and certain, and that's the market they've already established. And that's, you know, who's to say there's not a package deal, to quote Ben Badler. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen package deals in the draft before. And usually it involves the Nationals. <laughs> it usually involves Scott Boris clients. Rendon, Perkin, Brian Goodwin. That was a package deal. Where was the MLB investigation into that? That was a package, period. End of story. You can't tell me there might not be one this year with Kyle Funkhauser. Somewhere there's going to be a package. You know, it's all part of the package, JJ. And we're going to see it. And I think we could see it. Why wouldn't a team, why wouldn't the Padres, where A.J. Preller cut his teeth in the international game, Put together a package at 8, 24, and 25. Same agency or agents, three players. Here's our cuts, and here's what we're going to go do. I mean, I just, so I'm I'm on a tangent of I don't like the current system. I don't like the pools. But this is another part. I love the game theory part of it. I love the fact that this year. Yeah, we've gone that route. This year, 
you also have, because you have a lot of teams with a lot of money, and what's going to be fascinating is this last year we knew the Astros controlled the board. Correct. And so when Daz Cameron fell, it made as a As soon as he didn't go, like, what was it, six or eight? I forget where other spot. As soon as he didn't go to that spot, you were like, well, here he goes. He's not going until 37. Right. And the reason for that is, is that everyone else passed that. If Daz Cameron threw out a number, all he had to do, he didn't have to even be you know, dis- disingenuous about it. Right. I want four mil. Okay, well, we can't give you four mil. Next. I want four mil. Next. Right. I want four mil. We you know, wonder who will do that this year. Will it be Matt Manning? There's some talk about Matt Manning being that guy. Right. But here's the thing this year. If you think it, if you are sitting there, let's take an example. Let's if you're the Braves, who have yeah. a lot of money, and you're sitting there and your second pick is pick 40, if I remember correctly. Correct, you are. If you pick 40 and you hope that you know, you know what? Matt Manning will give us a second top end first round pick. We really believe in Matt Manning. And again, this is completely yeah, we're just, hypothetical. That's right. But the Braves have $12.385 million in their bonus pool. And so let's say that Matt Manning, or take your pick. It's Matt Manning, it's Ian Anderson, whoever it is. But like, let's say there's a high school arm yeah. that they really like. Yep. And so that guy starts throwing out, you know, hey, you know, they call his advisor. I guess you can call him, you know. His advisor still. Still advisor for high school guys. Technically, yeah. college guys can have agents. That's now. right. I forgot about that. But so you call his advisor. Or you call him. Let's just say, because we're... That's right. You call him. You call his dad. You call his dad, and his dad says, we're looking for four. Okay? Last year, if you did that, that meant the Astros were the only team who was going to have the money to do that. Yeah, because they picked that two and five. <laughs> right. So they <laughs> knew if they got the haircut at two, they got a little bit of a haircut at five, they could have the money to do that. Right. This year, if you think, hey, you know what? We'd love to work it out with the Braves for four million. Again, completely hypothetical. We'd love to bet 40. Well, as you just said, the Padres could say at 20, they could be sitting there and go, without any deal worked out, That's say, right. this guy's this guy's number eight on our board. Right. Number 12 on our board. That's right. He's better than anyone else we got here. We can take him. And then with our other pick back-to-back, yeah. we can take the best senior we have on our board. That's right. You know, who's good. Besides Kyle Funkhauser. Right. But, you know, but we can take, again, to take a hypothetical, we like Jameson Fisher. Is Jameson right, Fisher exactly. first-rounder? No. But we'll give him... Yeah, he's eminently signable. But we'll give him 750000 whatever it is. You know, again, this is all hypotheticals. Hypotheticals. But if you did that, well, then Matt Manning doesn't get to you at 40. That's right. If you were the Reds who pick, uh, what, 30... 36, I think it is. So if you're trying to get a guy to 36... You may not be able to do that. The 35. Thing, 235. The thing that happens for all these teams is, is that this year, anyone who falls, there are multiple teams who can be involved in that. And that's yeah. where this year is going to be fascinating for that reason. That's right. There, and there are really three or four teams. The Reds at 2 and 35 with this giant bonus pool. The Nats at 28 and 29. The Cardinals at 23, 33, 34. And then, as we said, the Padres at 8, 24, 25. And the Braves at and the Braves are three, three and 40, forty, and that's the problem. Is the Braves and then the Phillies? You have to you have to throw in this because they have the you know they have the number one pick, which number one and forty two, running forty two. That's the funny the thing, thing is, is the the, Bra- the Braves are also three forty and then forty four. Don't forget the, the Braves have. But three. that is the Phillies are the truly fascinating team here because again, like we said, let's say that they take someone one one and they sign them for five point five. Well, then they've got in their back pocket without having to do anything else with the rest of their draft. 
four and a half, four million, three and a half million, whatever it is, yeah. Plus the slot that they have at that spot. At one and a half million. So that's so a five million dollar. That's a five package. million dollar realistic. If they want. If they want. That's a five million dollar spot. Yeah. But then the question becomes, can you get anyone to 42 when there's all these teams ahead of you? And the thing is, like, everyone seems to think that the draft, and I think you've found this in your reporting as well, JJ, the strength of the draft is not necessarily 1-25. 1-25 to is not bad. It's fine. Let me start off talking about the top 10, comparing this year's top 10 to past years. It's okay. I still but think... But the strength is, is 20-40 to 40 in this is really good. I, I had someone the other day say it was 25-75. to 75. You know, I oh, I, I think when when we're writing up fair. our guys, I'm like, I like this guy. That's fair. I think it is fair. I mean, to to put it this way, writing up Eric Lauer, who I like, yeah, who's had a very good year at Kent State, left-hander, yeah. who's in our in the twenties for us. But I've got guys I wrote up in the fifties. Who, if you said, you know, I, I've got guys I wrote up in the seventy-fives and a hundred. Who right. are like, if you told me that guy ended up being better, it wouldn't completely stun me. Right. The college starters, you mentioned that earlier. I wanted to run down the college starters with you and see what you mm-hmm. think of some of these guys, and then that will be a good way to wrap. So the number two college starter, when it's all said and done, our candidates are Dakota Hudson. And, heck, this one of these guys might be the one guy. You got, But it's a fascinating group. I do think that all these guys are behind. I think the consensus is these guys are behind Puck. Oh, no doubt. But Puck might wind up a reliever, though. That's right. what I was going to head. So, if, okay. if Puck, so because he has this very high floor. I mean, you, you meant high floor of where he gets drafted. I meant I thought you meant high floor of prospect. But Dakota Hudson, Tennessee prep. TJ Zoik, fresh arm. Zach Birdie. Reliever ooh. now, will he start? Very intriguing. Connor Jones, Jordan Sheffield, Justin Dunn, Eric Lauer, Robert Tyler. I'm, I think that there's a clear cutoff there because our next two guys are th- – uh, pitchability jokers and uh, Logan Shore and Anthony Kay. I think we're too high on both those guys, personally. Uh, Alec Hansen, Cal Quantrill in this injury phylum. And I'm trying to think. Oh, Cody Sedlock. I think that's a next year. So Sedlock is a very good year. Um, it is one year. I mean, like he was. It's been a big step forward this year. Right. No doubt. I'm very intrigued in that next group by T.J. Zoik. I am too. Good body. He, out of that group, he's the guy who pitches up the fastball the most. That's why he's making inroads. And he hasn't pitched a ton of innings. So uh, th- that groin injury, uh, Sam Malone's favorite injury, that groin injury has actually been a blessing in disguise for TJ Zoik because he didn't pitch all that much this year. He threw 88 innings last year. He's at 61 this year with one, maybe two more starts. Pitt's not going to regionals. I think there are a lot of uh, scouting directors who hope that they beat Duke this weekend and so make it to the ACC him. tournament. And I hope so, too. They'd rather see T.J. Zoic than see Brady Clark. They've seen uh, – not Brady Clark. Bailey. Bra- Bailey Clark. Brady Clark was NDFA outfielder who made it to the major leagues. I always like Brady Clark. Yeah, I always like Brady Clark. San Diego State. Um, I think Zoic might wind up being the best of those guys. But I'll tell you who I'm really intrigued by is Jordan Sheffield because the arm is just so gosh darn fast. But at the same time, and I've been frightened by, you know, you threw out Chris Stratton earlier in the year, and that frightened me. On, on, But when you talk about the guy who's done it kind of week in, week it out. It is Dakota this, Hudson. It's Dakota Hudson. If you, we talk about, if you say that when we talk about that scouting directors really take a lot of stock in a guy who can do it in the SEC, Dakota Hudson's done it in the SEC consistently 
He's been that Friday guy who's matched up every week, and there aren't a lot of bad starts in there. And there that's really with are. a good body. Yeah. And that's with legit stuff. This is true. And I mean, the most vexing guy I feel like in this draft class on the college starters is Connor Jones. He has track record. He has He's a long done record it. Of success. He's only got 62 strikeouts in 87 innings this year. That seems to be a major red and flag. That's a fair for him. red flag. That is. That's that's not great. That's bad for a guy who's considered a first round talent. Let's put it this way: his stuff's better. But when we talk about Logan Shore, the knock right. against Logan Shore. When you talk about track record, AJ Puck is the one one yeah. potential one one pick in this draft. AJ Puck has never been the Friday guy at Florida. Why? Because Logan Shore just goes out there and does it every week. And if you are Florida, there's no reason that you would have ever swapped those two. Because Logan Shore right. is the epitome of reliability, and he's good. And Logan Shore has 8.3 strikeouts per nine right? this That's year. That's what I was about to Connor say. Connor Jones is 6.4. Right. That's what I was about to say is, is that for all you talk about Connor Jones versus Logan Shore, Logan Shore, and I know he does a lot with the changeup, which... There's a concern, you know, of, of how much a changeup plays at higher levels when you talk about a fastball changeup right-hander. But when you talk about Logan Shore... He, he spins it. It's just not his asset. It's not his asset. I mean, again, it's not like you can't do it. Right. But he does pitch off the changeup, which works, again, sometimes better the lower at college and then the lower levels of the minors more than right. the higher level. But track record-wise, he's the track record guy here. He is the track record guy. And then how about uh, Connor Jones... You know, last year had 113 strikeouts and 115 and two-thirds innings. Um, so he's really never had strikeout per inning. He came close last year, but he's never averaged nine strikeouts per. Ooh, he's got some bad walk numbers career-wise. Last year it was bad. It was 4.5, basically, walks per nine. This uh, is why he's not been considered at the top of that group. I think those are simple reasons. I mean, and then I don't think I'll put it this way. It's not all the squat. It is, it is hard, very hard nowadays with teams having all the analytics they have, you know, everyone has, almost everyone has a many-person analytics department. Yeah. And when you break this down... And a how 5,000. <laughs> when you break this down, there are the track record of first-round college pitchers who strike out six per something, 6.4, do you say? 6.4 this year. 6.4 in their draft year. That's a small. You're gonna have a real trouble finding a lot of guys who went one in the first round with that. Then you marry that to the Virginia stuff and the fact that the industry's not in love with Virginia. You know they weren't in love. The industry wasn't in love with Rice, and that still hurts Rice. And yet Phil Umber was a disappointment. He threw a complete game, a perfect game in the big leagues. Right, he was. Jeff Neiman was a regular for two years in rotations. They, they, those guys had more success than the Virginia guys. That's my point. My point is. I mean, I'm sure there's a Danny Holtzson analog in there for Rice somewhere, but I can't think of the number two pick. I can think of guys who didn't work out. Mario who the, Ramos. Who was the uh, Detroit? Uh, Matt Anderson was the 1-1, one, one, and he was disappointing. But he, was, he had already kind of washed out by 2004, and they still took three guys in the first eight picks is my point. Right, but when you say who's the guy, like Matt Anderson went 1-1, one, one, and that was like that's, Right, but I'm saying but I, I, it, it, by that time, it, 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 that, was, that was seven years later, and they still took three of them. We're five years past Danny Holson, and guys don't want to touch Connor. I feel like Connor Jones is the best prospect who nobody likes. As that's where I'm kind of going with. I like him. I don't love him. I like him less now than I did five minutes ago. Um, John does not have Virginia as his coverage. I don't so have Virginia. That was why he did not know the 6.4. I knew the strikeout rate was low. I didn't know it was that low. 
Um, but I just, the, the Virginia track record is working against him. And if you're Virginia, I wouldn't change a thing because they still get recruits. There are three or four win. pitchers. There are three or four pitchers who are in our list who are Virginia signees who are like committed dead lead pipe. Lock. Virginia signees I mean, just now, won the national title. Virginia signees now is not. I mean, it's one of those. It's like it's like kinda, Stanford. It's like Stanford, where when they're right. a Virginia signee, it's going to be really hard to get them away. And look at the, the hitters they're starting to produce and starting to get. Matt Thice rakes. Paven Smith for next year's draft rakes. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm already maybe partly it is is the fatigue I have of writing this year's, on this draft? year's draft. Yeah, I can't wait till next year's draft. By the way, and I'll say one other Virginia guy would be fascinating to watch next year. Adam Hazley. He's not striking anybody out either. But boy, do I love. I mean, he's given up eight home runs this year. And he's only given up 23 runs. So he has a 197 ERA. His, his ERA is going to be a lot better than his fifth. I love me some Adam Hazley because he's just a ball player. I just a ball player, but so the the Jordan Sheffield, the Virginia, the Vanderbilt phylum. Justice Sheffield. No, he it is Jordan on our list. I'm sorry, I got I got I got it backwards. I got it backwards. Sorry, Jordan and Justice. The, I apologize, but Jordan Sheffield, that's the guy, to me who, uh, there's the sheen of Vanderbilt is helping him, and Connor Jones, the sheen of Virginia is hurting him in the draft. That's not all. The strikeout rate's a bigger issue. But I just remember seeing Connor Jones in Under Armour and thinking in the 2013 high school class, he was the best high school pitcher in that class for me. Uh, he was the best power arm. I mean, that was a bad high school draft class at the time. You know who was one of our highest guys was Kyle Serrano. Again, uh, but you know what's Tennessee high school was, who was the Kyle Serrano in high school was the best dude on the same high school team as. A guy who could go in the top ten. Nick Senzel. Nick Senzel was considered the number two guy on his high school team. If, if two, there might have been other top high school players in 2013 draft. High school pitcher, Trey Ball. Number two, Ian Clarkin. Number three, the highest drafted one I believe was, or second highest drafted one, Phil Bickford, Rob Kaminsky. I'm um, looking at other high school pitchers. Hunter Green, the one who just retired. Hunter Harvey. Connor Jones, Kyle Serrano, was not a good high school pitcher draft. I remember that we thought that at the time. Matt Crook, but, Devin Williams, but not what, a good high school pitching draft. I, I did before we wrap this up when we talk about these college pitchers. Another one that's fascinating to me is Robert Tyler. Yeah, because Robert good Tyler got to finish on Robert Tyler, Georgia right-hander, University of Georgia right-hander, who throws really hard at his best. I mean, he's got a really at his best. It's a good, very good fastball. Absolutely, and. When you say the knocks, and he's on gotten him, better too, and he's gotten better. He's added a knuckle curve, as we detailed here at BaseballAmerica.com recently. Really good piece by Jim Schoner. He's added a knuckle curve, which I think both of us have concerns about the knuckle curve. Correct. The spike curve is one that I've written too many times. He's got a you know for a guy coming out of the draft, he's got a really good knuckle curve that's a strikeout pitch. But he and can't And then two land years it. later, three years later, you're writing him up lower down in the top thirty, and it's like. So-and-so has scrapped the knuckle curve because while he could get some swings and misses with it, he never commanded it well enough That's to, it. To, to use it consistently. And it sounds like the reason that Robert Tyler throws the knuckle curve is health, not just the effectiveness. That's a concern because he missed a lot of his sophomore year with forearm tightness, stopped throwing his breaking ball, switched to this knuckle curve, and he hasn't had the forearm tightness. But, so in Georgia, needs to win. He's only given up you know, opponents hit 199 against him, JJ. You want to guess how many walks per nine he gives up? 
4.2. Higher. We're playing Plinko. Not Plinko. We're playing five. Uh, Yodel higher. 5.5. Lower. 5.3. 5.45. So 5.5. Round up. 5.5. I <laughs> should have rounded up. So, Strikeouts per nine, 11. I knew, I knew that was good. So what you've seen with him is, is that scouts who, a lot, there's a lot of scouts who believe that this is, this is the guy who's going to end up in the pen. Right. I can't help but think one thing that, that is, they're very different, but they both went to UGA, and there were both concerns about them as far as control, and the delivery concerns were bigger with Alex Wood. Yes. But Alex Wood was a supplemental first-round pick who moved way quicker than most people in the industry thought he would. No doubt. To the big leagues. And didn't ever change that delivery. The delivery was still... He's still stabbing. He's still hopping. He's still bebopping and scatting. There's no doubt. He's doing all those things. And he's been better than what... You know, he went supplemental first round for all those reasons. Robert Tyler could end up going supplemental first round. He could go, I'd say, late first round. Probably, you know, he's not going to go probably much better than that. But that being said, he is a guy who... Maybe there's something there. He's... He's why when we talk about that the depth of this class at 25 to 75. Right. If you're sitting there and you get him at pick 29 or pick 33 yeah. or pick 40, got pick 40 especially, you get excited about it because this is a guy who he should be able to. That's right. Even the guys who don't like him, when you talk about it, it's like, well, he's going to throw hard enough that if you put him in the pen, he should be able to do something for And him. hey, don't forget last year we had John Harris jacked up our list. Everybody who did a mock draft had John Harris jacked up. Now, we had him at 25, actually, on the BA 500. <laughs> I didn't remember that. He went 29th. Mm-hmm. Nobody thought he would still be there at 29. Nobody thought he'd be there at 25. We also had Ian Happ at 24. College bat. Again, the phylum of player matters who, okay. come draft day. Who, who is, let's Who's the Ian Happ? Who is a couple? Matt Dice is one of those. That's why I keep running him up my mock drafts. You know who another one is? Is freaking Will Craig. College Will Craig is fascinating because I do believe if you were talking about the draft, if if Will Craig was available... We're not exactly wrapping up here, are we? No, because this is too fun. But Will Craig, 1995. If we go in the truly... You're you're not scouting the stat line at all era. Where does Will Craig go in the draft? I mean, JJ, he's probably a senior sign with that body. I mean, he just is. He's just awkward, you know. He's stiff. He's stiff. He's inflexible. But he can really, I can't really Im- hit. I cannot. I mean, again, no, but he, he hit in high school, and he wasn't tucked away nowhere. He was in – he was on uh, – I mean, I know Johnson City is remote, but he was on Daniel Norris' high school team. You he played against Nick Senzel. So people did see him. He played against Kyle Serrano. People saw him. He played for the East Cobb Yankees. People saw him. Nobody wanted him to hit. Only Wake Forest. Georgia Southern and Samford offered him to pitch. and Got a good arm. Got a good arm. Still pitches. Still pitches. Still MVP of the ACC for me. But I just can't. I can't see there's any way he'd be a, a, a significant enough junior draft. And nowadays. And nowadays he might be a first rounder. He might be Lucas Duda. Because the reality of it is, is that the reason for that is, is that when you look at it, if if you think, if you just, if you count on production as having some merit, and I think we are at a point now where every team out there yes. can, believes that production has merit. And they should. They should. I mean, that's the, the reality is, is that we've seen enough of the Tyler Whites of the world making the majors where it's like, all he does is hit. I don't know where he's going to play. I, I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to hit. You know, I talked to a couple old school scouts this week. 
and both of them said, oh, there's just too much performance scouting out there these days. I could hear them talking about it. They were leaning that way, and I just read to them the part from our upcoming draft book that Pat Gillick wrote where he says there's too much performance scouting. They both just said, amen, amen. And it's a good talking point, but then when you really do think about it, J.J., there were big you just leaguers. said Tyler White. It's a perfect example. Matt Adams. Yeah. Matt Adams was a scouting and a performance, but the starting point on it a lot of times is we need to go look at this guy. Alan Crow. I mean, the Cardinals have done I, it for years. I know that you probably do it for years too, but one of the things I'm doing is is that oh, yeah. I'm, if I find a guy from a small school in my, in my area who strikes out a lot of guys... I'm going to find out why does he strike out a lot of guys. Just did it today with the coach out west. I mean, so who's this guy on your team who strikes out a bunch of guys? Oh, he's actually not eligible. Okay. Tuck them away for later. Because sometimes you find out it's like, oh, you know, he's got a really good changeup. He throws 86 to 88 with a good changeup. Moving on. Sometimes you you find out, you know what, he's 91, 94. And that that fastball, there's something about it that, you know, okay, well, why has this guy got 15 homers and he's drawing, he's walked twice as much as he struck out? How about J.J., our, our boy at Notre Dame, Michael Hearn? Fifth-year senior left-hander, mm-hmm. 74 and two-thirds innings, 193 ERA. The ERA 20 years ago might have gotten him a look. Today, I don't think any analytics department would look at that. They would look at, oh, 42 strikeouts and 74 and two-thirds innings. Not a guy we need to worry about. Right. He's because a he's great... 79 to 85, so not a guy they need to worry about. But if he had 42 innings and 74 strikeouts doing that same thing, they'd make you go look. They'd make you turn in a report. He still might even get drafted, maybe later. I but, was talking to Moorhead State's coach this week because they, yeah. they have two guys in the top five in the nation in strikeout rate. Two guys. Ohio Valley Conference stats are a little, uh, little squirrely. But, you know, he said, oh, yeah, we've got, you know, there's scouts in every game that, that Matt Anderson throws. Why? Because, you know, they, the starting point with it is, is that if you've got the guy who's leading the country in strikeouts per nine <laughs> and he's in yeah. your area – you better know what he's going to do. That's right. And he's, got, right. he's got legit stuff. I mean, so this is the guy who's going to get drafted. This is the guy but with Will the Coleman comps, right? Yeah, but Will Craig, Will Craig is going to go well this year because no matter what. Because the what, industry has changed. No matter what you think about the body, and there are concerns. No matter where you say, I don't know where he's going to play. Because as good as that arm is, you can find a lot of guys who do not think he's going to stay at third base. That's right. Not. Hey, look, Kyle Schwarber went fourth overall in a draft. I mean, Guy really had no position when he was drafted. I mean, they've tried catcher, and they've tried him in left field. He hurt himself in left field, and you know, catcher, he could catch Kyle Hendricks, the one guy on the staff without a plus fastball. And I love Kyle Schwarber, but that bat, <laughs> that bat was special. If you special. can hit, the thing about it is when it's all said and done, if you can hit, you can play. That's exactly right. You don't get promoted now, for a again, good pop time. Now, the funny thing about this is is we say this, and then there are guys like, Dan Vogelbach can hit. But you got it's got to be special power with it. Yeah. And then and maybe maybe he gets there, but that's the guy, because I always think of that, because Dan Vogelbach is bad only. Yeah, I mean, but, really you don't, you don't, but you don't get promoted because you cut second very well. Like I saw Louisville two weeks ago, and boy, Nick Solak ran the bases. He ran them so well. He stole a couple runs that weekend series for Louisville. I like Nick player. Solak. He is a good player. And he's going to get drafted. He'll get drafted because he hits. It will help that he cuts the bases. It will it help that he plays runs. In the dirt. It helps that he stays in the that he plays in the dirt and is an unconventional second base. But if Skip if Skip Shoemaker can do it, he can too. You know, I think he's a second base left field Jerry Harrison type of guy. Maybe Scott Harrison, not Jerry. Jerry was a little bit better athlete. 
like Scott Harris was like a bat first guy, second base, left field. That could be Nick Solak. But all that other stuff only matters because he hits. And pitching is getting that way where only other stuff matters at 90, maybe 92 or above. In the first round, anyway. You better throw that hard. No one, I, I don't see, do you think anyone will be drafted in the first round this year who doesn't sit 91 plus? I can't think of anybody, no. Mm-mm. No way. That's a bar that you, that's, I mean, the reality is, is when we're writing up guys and, and trying to figure out where we line up on our 100 and 200, I almost looked down, you know, I hate to say it, but you do. You look down your nose like, 92. college guy, and he's like 89, 91. We could stick him in the list somewhere. That's right. That's right. Does, stuff, he, does he throw underneath? You know, is he side on? You know, is he submarine? That, that actually happened today. Yeah. One guy was. So uh, you talked me out of my funk. I think I look worse now than I did at the start of the podcast. But I feel better. So thanks. Oh, Appreciate sure. that. Hope everybody enjoyed that at home. Uh, that was a long podcast. We'll go back and clean it up, and we'll be back tomorrow with a Facebook Live, I should say Friday. And we'll be back with lots more draft coverage. Uh, BA 500 drops June, June 2nd. We have a lot of work to do to get there, so we may not get the 300 and 400 every week, but uh, we'll get to 500 on June 2nd. And a lot more to come at BaseballAmerica.com. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.